Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 68 of the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show brought to you by the Change Your POV podcast network. Today, I have a conversation with Dr. Carl Castro, the director for the Center of Innovation and Research on Veterans and Military Families at the USC Dwarak Peck School of Social Work. Here's a quick preview of what you'll hear in this episode, then we'll hear a quick word from my buddy Bennett Tanton about one of the network sponsors, then we'll get into the show. That's where we still struggle, you know, after all of these years of being at war and all the deployments that are our military has participated in, we still really struggle with welcoming them back into the community and supporting them with the type of support they need. Today's sponsor is USA Military Medals. USA Military Medals is the leader in high quality military medals and ribbons made in the USA. More than 30,000 United States Armed Forces uniform items in stock same day and next day shipping. They are the easy rack builder guys. The easy rack builder on their site is amazing as is the shadow box builder. They can do everything from a flag and memorabilia display to a single metal display. I've had a shadow box made as a retirement gift and it came out amazing. If you're looking to build your legacy and hand something down to your children or family, there's nothing better than a professionally made shadow box. So to recap, get your official US military medals, ribbons, badges, patches, dog tags, and shadow boxes. They even have uniforms, tactical gear, gifts, and much, much more. So go to USA Military Medals and check them out by going to changeyourpov.com forward slash resources. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veterans, service members, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast once again. And as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and to learn more about veteran mental health. 
Uh, as you know, on the show, we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about federal mental health. Uh, and we do that in a variety of ways, uh, some of which we talk about uh, uh, veterans who have their own mental health journey, and then also mental health professionals who are talking about uh, uh, the research and, and the services. Uh, and today, once again, we have somebody who's actually doing both. So uh, our guest today is uh, Carl Castro, and uh, we'll go ahead and get into a conversation with him. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, as uh, as you and I briefly talked, and even the, the correspondence, um, our colleague, Anthony Hassan, uh, you and he had done some, some work together uh, before, but uh, uh, definitely speaks highly of you and your work and, and what you've done as far as the research and the understanding to move these things forward. Uh, but before we get into some of that, I guess I'd like to have you tell the audience a little bit about yourself uh, and, uh, and maybe uh, from your military and then what you're doing now. Okay, great. Um, I always like to start off by letting folks know that, that uh, I am a military veteran. I retired five years ago, almost to today, um, after serving 33 years in the military. I started off my career as a private 11 Bravo infantry and uh, went on to become an officer, and I retired a colonel in the U.S. Army. And my last set of assignments really involved assessing the psychological and physical health of soldiers and Marines as they deployed into and out of combat. And I'm now a professor at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. So in, in that, of course, uh, it's always interesting how we can sum up, um, you know, over a quarter century of our life in about uh, uh, 30 seconds. Uh, but what got you, what transitioned you from, obviously, your military service into veteran mental health? Well, so, you know, I've always been interested, obviously, in how, what we can do as a, as a military uh, to preserve and enhance and sustain the health and well-being of our active duty forces. And so my focus has really been almost exclusively on, on active duty components, primarily around deployments, peacekeeping missions, you know, shipborne deployments, combat deployments. And But we were always interested in sort of the life cycle approach because it's not as if, well, what happens to you on, on active duty, we no longer care once you leave the military. So although I wasn't personally involved in doing veteran-related research, I was responsible for overseeing the funding of a lot of our veteran uh, health-related research. And so once I became a veteran myself, then it afforded me that opportunity to really begin continuing sort of that story of what happens on active duty has just tremendous impact of what happens to you when you're a veteran and in particular in that transition process. So it was just kind of a natural progression of my own research interest. No, you're absolutely right. And that focus on obviously uh, warfighter or, or active duty service member is very important. Um, I, I talk about that's when we were in the machine uh, and then once we're out of the machine, we see things in a totally different way. And, and we do see, I think when we're out of the military, we see the long-term impacts much greater than we did see when we were 
uh, in the military. You, you probably did anticipate what things would happen in the life cycle, but things were, were much more immediate, I think, uh, when we were on active duty. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you're, when you are, you know, in combat, you're not thinking about what you're going to do 10 years from that point. You're thinking about survival. Mm-hmm. And, and then you're thinking about quickly recovering if you survive that incident to go out and do it again the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day until you get home. So, you know, it, our, our time horizon becomes very, very, very short and very, very near to us. And, and of course, then once you, you're thinking of leaving the military, you're either going to just separate because your contract is over or you're retiring, then you start having, well, what am I going to do when I leave? So then the, the horizon becomes a little bit longer. Sure, but I think, in, and definitely even in my experience, and I was uh, about like you, I retired in uh, about four years ago, um, that we really didn't know what was there beyond that. I mean, as uh, I talk about uh, trying to pierce the veil of fog um, after leaving the military, uh, a lot of server, you know, we 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 hear about it, but we don't really understand. We don't know what it's going to be. Uh, and so even though we know that there's life after the military, it's really theoretical until it's almost upon us. You know, that's a great point. And, and a lot of a lot of service members, a lot of soldiers that I talk to, they think leaving the military is actually going to improve their life. And, and for some, it does. Mm-hmm. But for many, it's a real struggle transitioning from an active duty back to civilian uh, life because they really have forgotten what it's like to be a civilian because the military does such an effective job of indoctrinating and acculturating somebody into the military. I mean, just think back when you went to basic training and what a, you know, some of, I mean, the stories that people tell, they could tell them 50 years from now in detail because they were so vivid and imprinted on them in such a powerful way. And they almost forget what it's like to be a civilian. And they think it's going to be easier than what it turns out to be for a lot of folks. Yeah, I can see that. And even if somebody, like you said, they spent six years in or they spent 26 years in, um, you know, they say, yeah, basic was tough. But looking back on it, it wasn't that tough. And I adjusted there. And even if they don't think that consciously, they think they may be able to make that same adjustment back. Um, But it's very different because there is no basic training for uh, civilian life. Well, and you don't have that support. I mean, right. let's be honest. Basic training has a lot of support, right? I mean, we have lots of drill instructors, barracks facilities, training facilities. There's a lot of support to welcome someone into the military, but there's very, very little support, you know, organized support, probably said differently, to help a veteran transition back to civilian life. I mean, there's lots of support out there, but as you correctly described i mean it's all over the place it's not really clear it is like a fog because it's none of it's coordinated none of it's working together it's just individual entities you know i i help veterans with jobs i help veterans with housing i help thousands with health and so it's all over the place there's not a one place you go to that helps you in that process yeah i i have seen that definitely with the veterans that i work with that 
um, they have to find and build their own individual support structure, you know, whereas in the military, it's given to us in a package, um, everything, even to our social networks and our, our community is, uh, is handed to us and told what we do. Uh, but then when we leave the military, we have to piece that together ourselves. Uh, and, and maybe some veterans are better at doing that than others. Uh, and, and that support network, uh, like you said, is critical, but it's not very easily assembled. Exactly. Absolutely correct. And, you know, and that's where we still struggle, you know, after all of these years of, you know, being at war and all the deployments that are our military has participated in, we still really struggle with welcoming them back into the community and supporting them, you know, with the type of support they need. Right. And I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that comes from an understanding, an understanding on the veterans part um, that there does need to be that adaptation. uh, But then the understanding on the the part of the community that the veteran returns to uh, about even what veterans are about. Um, you know, I was seeing in one of your articles, um, and, and we often do discuss or talk about the, the veteran divide, right? Military-civilian divide. Um, but the support that is necessary by those providing the support, it, it's often a lack of understanding. Oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, what goes with understanding is expectancy, you know, like what to expect. And oftentimes, you know, service members leaving the military, they don't know what to expect. Civilians who are going to be interacting with veterans don't know what to expect. And civilians rely a lot on media reports. Mm -hmm. And the media reports are very skewed, either to every veteran's a hero, to every veteran is suicidal, homicidal, and all screwed up. But most veterans are in the middle. And we don't really have a dialogue of like, well, what does the typical veteran look like and and what are their needs? And then also just building the expectation from the service member who's leaving the military perspective, what to expect. And and you often don't you know, we often say, you know, nobody knows the civilians are disconnected with with the military because, you know, vast majority of civilians don't serve in the military, never will serve in the military, have very little action with, you know, activity or interaction with people who serve in the military. And so they don't really know what to expect either. And then so there's this lack of communication between, you know, even a common language. So if a veteran did start talking about their service, most civilians wouldn't even understand most of what they were saying because of just the language difference. Yes, I, I've recognized that too. And again, even that discomfort, uh, this disjointedness that a lot of veterans experience. Uh, and you reference sort of the the media, right? The 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 uh, portrayal of veterans in the media, not just uh, films and 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 things like that, but uh, definitely in the news. Um, but there's a point of uh, when somebody may watch, um, you know, American Sniper or Black Hawk Down, and they may watch it in the movie theater, and it's it's entertainment to them. But then if, if I were to go to my local barbecue and talk about those same stories and, and I'm here in front of you, that would be a very different reaction. And so there's a difference between seeing veterans and understanding or, or, or appreciating veterans at a distance 
to appreciating the veteran that's sitting right next to you or working in the cubicle next to you or sitting across the interview table? Oh, you know, that's a great point. You know, one of the things that our research shows is that most civilians, they love the idea of a veteran and they love supporting the idea of veterans. But when it comes to their own personal behavior, you know, of hiring a veteran, uh, reaching out to a veteran, then you get this sort of disconnect between the idea and then the actual behavior they engage in. And and I think a lot of it comes through of this lack of understanding and in some sense fear, you know, because most civilians don't really know how to interact with, with veterans. And so, again, it's helping them understand, you know, sort of this, this experience that that our veterans have and and but more importantly the contributions they can still make to society and the contributions they can make towards a job if they're hired and and the contributions they can make to a community that they're a member of that's to me the most important thing to communicate no i i absolutely agree uh, with that and and there there seems to be uh a a widening in the gap not just uh, between the civilians and the military, but those veterans that are able to quote unquote make a successful transition, whatever that looks like, uh, but those that are able to successfully reintegrate and have a, a, a stable post-military life, let's call it, and then those that can't, right? That that those two groups seem to be separating within the veteran uh, community. Do you see that? Yeah, and you know, and it's a, it's really important, Wayne, to really, really appreciate that most veterans transition fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be a little bump, a little bump here and there, a little bump here and there, but most veterans do transition okay. The vast majority transition okay, but there is that significant number of veterans who do struggle in that transition process, and. You know, and that could be, you know, anywhere. I mean, depending on what numbers you want to look at and what outcomes you want to look at. You know, it varies between, you know, 8, 9, 10%. Some numbers as high as 20%. Now, that doesn't mean that veterans, that the 80% don't have any needs. But I'm just talking about the transition itself. They transition fine. You know, a lot of veterans do have unmet needs, you know, health care needs, primarily physical health care, some mental health care needs as well. Um, they have difficulty finding that right job for them. You know, the, you know, yeah, they can get a job, but it's not the right job. It's not the job they really derive meaning from, you know, because keep in mind, they're coming from an organization where, you know, meaning was like preeminent mm-hmm. in military service, right? I mean, you're defending your country, you're defending your buddies beside you. I mean, talk about a job that has meaning and it's hard to match that in a civilian job to match, you know, that aspect of it. And so veterans do bounce around, you know, when they get out first few years, they bounce around from job to job, uh, trying to figure out, okay, which, what's good for me, what works best for me. And, but eventually they figure that out and then they, you know, jump right in and contribute to their community and society. You know, that meaning piece is very significant, and I know that I've mentioned it on the show before for some longtime listeners, but uh, the clinical work that I do with veterans, um, about how many you would expect around maybe, you know, 15, 20% of the veterans are, are 
um, you know, dealing with some form of post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, but full diagnosable post-traumatic stress disorder, but 100%, just about every single veteran that I work with struggle with finding purpose and meaning in their post-military life. Um, and, and that's not PTSD, right? There's, that's not post-traumatic stress disorder. That's not traumatic brain injury. Um, and, and sometimes some of our interventions when it comes to veteran men- mental health are focused on PTSD, but purpose and meaning is existential psychology with, you know, Yalam and Frankel and, and, you know, things like that. Well, absolutely right. And, you know, and not being able to drive meaning is not, you know, a clinical disorder, right? I mean, people who've never served in the military struggle to define meaning in their lives, right? And so, you know, but in the military, you know, when you, you know, when you enlist it, 17, 18, 19 years old. I mean, the military is all you really have known as an adult, even if you've only served six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And never mind if you served a career. And in trying to recapture that meaning, sometimes it's not possible. There's just not enough jobs that will give you that kind of meaning, you know, paying jobs. And therefore, that's when you, oftentimes people will say, well, you know, volunteer, join an organization, you know, be a Boy Scout leader or a member of your church where you're leading a group where you can also derive meaning. So you can derive meaning in your life in a variety of ways. It just, it doesn't all have to be employment related. It can be through volunteer work. It could be through a hobby that you enjoy doing. So you can do it through a variety of, of mechanisms in uh, to derive meaning. I don't think we've fully explored you know, with many of our veterans, how they can derive meaning in all of these other venues that doesn't have to be a paid job that you're getting your, your, you know, your meaning and your purpose in life. No, I, I absolutely do think that, uh, that is emerging any, and I think that especially veterans who are, are noticing that, uh, that gap, let's say, um, in the, you know, whether they call them new age veteran organizations, but uh, things like Team Rubicon and Team Red, White and Blue and the Travis Mannion Foundation. But these organizations that, you know, take a veteran's desire to serve again um, and and utilizes that for community good. And so I, I absolutely do agree that uh, that there are different ways. That's that's what I talk about to my veterans say, OK, you know, and it's not the, the whole flipping burgers thing. But, you know, hey, you got a good job on an assembly line or you got a, a good job working in a hospital, but it's not satisfying you, but you don't have to keep finding the job that satisfies you. Find something else in your life to satisfy. And so you have the the purpose, the action that I must, you know, pay my bills um, and find meaning in other ways. So it's it's great to to hear that. And and a lot of that has to come down to the veteran, I think, understanding themselves. And and if we're talking about this concept of understanding, um, a lot of times veterans themselves don't have an awareness of how their service, not combat specifically, but definitely that, um, but just their service in general, they don't have an awareness about how it changed them. No, they absolutely don't. And and it's that lack of awareness that, that can really cause them to struggle the first couple of years when they leave the military. Um, because, you know, People change gradually over time, so they're not aware of of two years, three years, four years, five years, six years of change that's happened to them because it's happened gradually. Even even when our you know service members deploy to combat environments, you know a year's a long time, 
but they're not aware of how over the year they've really changed. And that really, combat really magnifies those changes. So when they come home from combat or when they leave the military, people go, wow, this person's really different. For themselves, they don't feel like they've changed that much because the change has been gradual. But for those who have been around them, who know them very well, you know, like parents, close friends, spouses, they go, wow, you really changed. And they go, what do you mean I've changed? I'm the same person I've always been. But they're not the same person they've always been. They're different, in many ways profoundly different. And that not, not in a, and not in a bad way. And not in a bad way. They're just different. And and now oftentimes people will take the different as being negative and they shouldn't. You're just different. Right. Different doesn't mean bad, you know, and, and it's it different is the reality. I mean, it's it's what it is. I, I recall uh, my wife saying the same thing. You know, I walked back and specifically, I think, after my my Afghanistan deployment. So this was uh, a 15 month tour in Iraq and then another 12 month tour in uh, Afghanistan over a three year period. Um, and, and she said, I saw you, my husband, but then you weren't you. Um you know, and it was, and she was like, she could tell, and, and of course her, her mother and my parents had mentioned it too, um, that, that there is a change, but it's sort of like, um, you know, if, if somebody loses weight gradually, but you don't see them for six months and all of a sudden you see somebody who's, you know, 30 pounds lighter or whatever, it's a striking change for somebody who hasn't seen the gradualness of it. But for the person that's losing weight, they, it, it does become that gradual sense. That's right. That's right. That's a really good analogy, actually, to describe how things can change gradually, but the end state can be profoundly different than the starting point. And so a lot of this awareness, um, and you and, uh, and, and Sarah Kinsel and Anthony Hassan had wrote an article, and this was uh, uh, something that I had um, not latched onto, but, it, but I developed an infographic that, that demonstrated this because it spoke to me uh, so profoundly, uh, both as a clinical mental health professional and as a um, as a veteran, uh, about the combat veteran paradox and the number of paradoxes that combat veterans specifically um, deal with uh, when they return from combat or they leave the military. So, um, could you talk a bit about the uh, the paradox and maybe go through a couple with us? Oh, sure. So, you know, what we had seen, you know, in the literature and in the, in, in the clinic is that you often see what appears to be contradictory um, statements that, that veterans would make about themselves and about other veterans. And, you know, so we said, you know, these are really what we mean by paradoxes. And, and, you know, just, you know, for the listeners, you know, a paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself, but might be true. And the example that I like to give that everybody really resonates with is if you're married or you have a, a spouse who, who spends money, well, you know, my wife will often say things like, I saved you money by buying this on sale. <laughs> And he said, wait a minute, how did you save me money by spending my money? And because that seems like a contradiction. Well, you know, I explained to people, well, if we actually needed that item and my wife got it on sale, then she actually saved me money. 
But if she bought an item that we didn't need, that she actually didn't save me any money, even though she may have gotten it on sale. So you need to really kind of look deeper into that statement. And and what we found is that, that combat veterans in particular, but as you noted, anyone who served in the military may experience many of these uh, similar paradoxes. And, and so some of them is, you know, things like what we call the safety paradox. You know, veterans will tell you, combat veterans in particular will tell you, hey, I survived combat, you know, you know, I proved myself, I'm not afraid of dying, you know, nothing can harm me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But then at the same time, they have this kind of worldview that the world's unsafe, they can't trust anyone, they want to go around armed all the time, carrying a weapon, and you think, well, if the world is safe and nothing can harm you because you survived combat, why do you feel the need to be armed? You know, so it presents somewhat of a paradox for them. And one of the ones that spouses really understand is the sort of this silence paradox. And that is that, you know, combat veterans believe no one can possibly understand what it's like, you know, to be in combat. Um, But then at the same time, they say, I don't want to talk about my combat experiences. But if no one can understand it, how are they going to understand it unless you talk about it? Right. So it's this kind of catch 22 in some sense as well, that in order to understand what a combat veteran went through, they have to talk about their experiences in some detail, not in all the gory details, but at some level to explain why they may be perceived as a different person that we were talking about earlier that spouses are very quick to pick up on. Well, why are you different? Well, one, I don't think I'm different, but if you do think I'm different, maybe these experiences that I had can help explain that. And, of course, they can be very, very illuminating for friends and loved ones to to have some sense of what was experienced. Again, not in all the details necessarily, but just in general, you know, what it was like to be constantly uh, concerned about one's personal safety for prolonged periods of time. And there are other uh, com, you know, uh, paradoxes that we talk about as well. Um, and I don't know if there's any particular ones Wayne, that you are, you want to explore in more detail, but those are what we wanted, you know, combat veterans to understand one about themselves, but we also wanted civilians to be aware of them as well. So they could understand and explore more deeply these paradoxes that combat veterans uh, may be experiencing. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up the the silence paradox because um, independently through through my experience in working with veterans, um, I had written uh, a blog post um, that, that talked about the paradox of the veteran story uh, that we want everybody to know what we did while not telling while not having to tell them what we did. Right. Um, and so we want everybody to know our story. And and that's actually the one that that Anthony reached out and said, hey, you know, take a look at this. And he has sent me your article. Um, and, and that's exactly it. I, I sort of explain when I came back from Afghanistan and I was a platoon sergeant for a security platoon and uh, escorted um, uh, supplies and things like that. But but we were gun trucks. Uh, and I remember coming back from Afghanistan uh, and going to Knoxville, Tennessee, where my wife is from, and my brother-in-law and I were building a, a deck for her parents. Um, and uh, and I 
and, and I was a week removed from Afghanistan and I was still thinking about what was going on over there and all in my head and I was screaming and yelling in, in my brain saying, you know, don't you guys know there's a war going on, you know, where it's just a nice July day, you know, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so after three or four days and nobody wanted to talk to me about it, but then when my brother-in-law at the end of the day and the sun's going down and we, we sat back and finished the work and he was at that point, he said, you know, I mean, and it was it, not to make it sound dramatic, but he was like really quiet. And he was like, so what was it like over there? And at that precise moment, I didn't want to tell him. I had wanted to tell him the entire three or four days. But then at that moment, I was like, eh, you know, rough. Right. And and it was and, and so that's definitely something that I personally experienced. Um, but veterans aren't aware of that until until we put a name on it. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's. You know, you also mentioned another paradox, which is the back there paradox. Right. Where, you know, when you're deployed, all you want to do is be home. You miss your family. You know, if you've been deployed multiple times, you see no point in it. Nothing's really changing. And then when you're home, all you want to do is return on deployment, be back there with the guys, etc. You know, so you can have multiple paradoxes going on simultaneously. And... And, you know, the, 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 the one about, um, you know, telling your story is so, so important. And I always tell folks, you know, look, you need to have two stories. You know, you need to have the long version of your story that you really want to share with someone. And then you need to have a shorter version of the story that you can also share to people. Maybe it's not the right time to share or they're a complete stranger and they ask you and you just have kind of a nice, polite, short story you give them. And and then you can have a longer one where you can go into more detail. But telling your story is really important. And But it's also important, as you really hit on, is telling your story the way you want to tell it when you want to tell it. You're on nobody's timeline to tell your story when they want to hear it. Um, and, and it can be off-putting based on when they ask you for your story, right? So, you I mean, you've experienced multiple paradoxes, like in a very short period of time simultaneously or one right after the other. And I, and I like that, um, definitely the idea of having two versions of your story. And I hadn't even considered that, but, uh, but I think that's very true. I've got a, a colleague, uh, Richard Casper, he, he runs the Veteran Artist Project, and, and he, uh, in a conversation, uh, he and I talked about this, where he helps veterans produce art, obviously reflecting uh, some of the things inside of them in, in different mediums. But he said that uh, in the beginning, you know, they'll, they'll be presenting a, a piece, and the veteran will be standing there next to their piece, and, and somebody who hadn't served will come up and ask about it or talk about it, and the veteran is able to um, you know, say, this is what happened. You know, it's something very surface, like you said, very innocuous and, and not in depth. But another veteran who comes up and they know that individual is a veteran, they get a totally different story. And the story is the real story that's underneath the surface. Uh, but Richard said, eventually it gets to the point where the veteran can then give a little bit of the deep story to those individuals hadn't served. And so it becomes a progression uh, and, and the telling becomes easier. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, we all know that. It's called training, right? With training, you get better. And the more times you tell your story, the better you'll get at telling it. 
and the more people you're likely to tell it, you're able to tailor it to certain individuals and to certain contexts as well. So this is why it's just, you know, you can rehearse it mentally first by yourself and you can rehearse it out loud by yourself. You know, there's a, you know, you mentioned the arts, there's a bit of acting in storytelling too, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, so this is why I think acting classes are so attractive to a lot of veterans because it allows them kind of not be who they are, but who they are because they're quote acting. And, and I think that's also very, um, very helpful in the, in the healing process and in the understanding process. And, and that does taking, you know, taking that step to get into that and maybe through art, uh, maybe through theater, maybe through writing, right? You know, obviously poetry or, or what have you, or even just long form writing, it's a safe way, uh, but a distant way. There's sort of a buffer in between, um, you know, me telling my story and somebody going and reading my story. But it, but it takes a lot to get over that first initial hesitation. And and one of the ones that uh, that I often discuss with my veterans is is the courage paradox, uh, the one that uh, the the combat veterans are strong and courageous, yet they're afraid of being weak and damaged. So, uh, on one side, you know, I I prove my strength and courage in combat, but then on the other side, I think that talking about these things or showing emotion will reduce that strength. And so that's significant for a lot of veterans that maybe that's a paradox that keeps them from moving forward. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and that's just part of our culture uh, in society, but it's also really a very strong part of the military culture. And that is, you know, not to show weaknesses, right? And, and because showing weaknesses is a vulnerability that your enemies can exploit. And so we try not to show weaknesses. And, you know, you, and, you know, I've heard, you know, combat veterans tell me, well, I can never apologize because, you know, that would be showing a sign of weakness. Like I, I had made a mistake. And and I said, well, you know, you know, and most you know, combat veterans are, are men, but there are some women. And I would ask them, and both men and women answer this the same way. I said, how many of you? have ever apologized to your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend for something that you know you are completely innocent <laughs> on, but you said you apologized anyway. Every single hand goes up in the room, right? And I said, well, and why did you do that? Why did you apologize? And, and you know, they, they come up with basically three reasons. You know, the first reason is, well, to get her to shut up, right? You hear that one. Other ones to say, you know, to keep the peace. And then the most popular one, I will say, is to have sex, right? Because mm -hmm. if, if apology is all you need to have sex, I am sorry, baby. <laughs> and so people apologize for lots of reasons when they actually know they're completely innocent. And that's not a sign of weakness, right? It's a sign of building strong relationships. And so you have to kind of reframe it. You know, you can say you're sorry. You can show emotions. You can... Admit weaknesses. That's how you build relationships because then people feel needed in a relationship if another person has a weakness that they can kind of be a backstop for. It's what makes teams stronger, right? I mean, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? That's one of kind of like the sayings in the military. But it doesn't matter if you have a weakness because somebody else will have a strength that can backstop you, right? Double check you, right? We check each other. That's the whole buddy system, right? 
and and so it's it's just kind of acknowledging that and and I think that helps people certainly helps our veterans and our combat veterans in particular you know understand that admitting you made a mistake even apologizing when you don't have anything to apologize for it's not a sign of weakness it's really a sign of building strong relationships Sure. And then that touches on uh, another one of the paradoxes uh, that, that was in your article, the intimacy paradox, where uh, we can form bonds uh, that last you know, a lifetime with people that we were deployed with. Um, yesterday, literally yesterday, uh, as we're recording this, um, one of my soldiers uh, that deployed with me in Afghanistan was on his way through Colorado Springs, says, hey, let's meet up for, for coffee. Uh, hadn't seen him in, in nine years. Um, and yet, you know, he called, I went, you know, and, and, and that's sort of the way that goes. So we have those intimate bond bonds with the people that we served with, but we struggle to, to create or, or recreate or reestablish intimate relationships when we return. Yeah, absolutely true. You see that all the time. And it, even sometimes, you know, uh, spouses will complain, you know, about, you know, he's been gone for a year and all he wants to do is hang around with his buddies. And he says he misses his family, but he never wants to do anything with the family. And and it's not so much that as it's so much you have this shared experience that you don't really have to talk about if you don't want to. You can just mention kind of in periphery certain things and you have that shared experience. So you know exactly what happened. You don't have to go through all the details. And it also gets to this part about not really having to tell your whole story to someone who experienced it because you were there, right? If you and I experienced the same comment, I don't have to give you all the details. You know what happened. You were there, you know, but we can talk about what we thought about it, how it affected us without going into all the, all the details about the event itself. And that's very, very protecting. And it's trying to get, you know, sometimes spouses to understand that, you know, that it's, it's hard to loop somebody in on a shared experience that they weren't part of. They're always going to be an outsider. And, and but then they're also, you know, veterans are afraid of losing someone they care about. Whereas your buddy and you, you've made it, you survived the combat experience. You guys now have each other for the rest of your lives. And, but you're not sure about new people, right? If I have a strong relationship with this person and then they leave or something happens to me, then I've kind of lost that relationship. And there is this fear of loss that kind of is the undercurrent sometimes about these intimacy um, issues that a lot of our veterans have. And then that goes back to our earlier conversation about how do we build a support network to to augment that that we do still have that support network, but we're scattered across the United States and sometimes across the globe. Um, but in order to reestablish a support network, that fire team or whatever you want to call it uh, after the military, you do have to get over the intimacy paradox and, and take that chance. But then it goes back to that idea. If I'm sitting here in a barbecue and I'm telling my lone survivor story or whatever, um, it, I don't want to see the horror in someone's eyes, or I don't want to see the pity in someone's eyes, or I don't want to see whatever emotion that's there because then that, one that confirms what I believe to be about myself. I'm monstrous, or I'm, I'm, you know, uh, something, you know, to be pitied. Um, or like you said, that that person's going to say, "Oh, well, that's nice," and then go walk and talk to somebody else, and that's going to confirm that idea of "I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone." Yeah, and you know, you hit on two things that 
that are really important, and one is this um, judging. You know, combat veterans are very, 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 very sensitive to being judged about what they did, what they experienced, how their experience affected them. And so that's a real, a real issue, you know, kind of taking a risk of being judged when you tell your story, right? And then the second thing is being, you know, kind of ignored or dismissed, you know, having your experience, you know, minimized. Uh, and so those are two real kind of uh, important emotions that the veterans just have to be aware of that's, that can happen. And what are you going to do if somebody starts judging you what you did or didn't do or being dismissive of your experiences is not relevant or uninteresting, right? Both of those are equally annoying and can really inflame some some veterans. So, I mean, those are real issues that, that just need to be thought about and, okay, what are you going to do if this happens? What are you going to do if that happens? And get them to, you know, act in an appropriate way. But those are really uh, serious emotions that one always must be mindful of when you tell your story that those are two possible outcomes that you may not think you're going to get, but you could get. And and that's one of the things is, uh, you know, a lot of veterans say, okay, now that I know, how do I get there? Right. You know, and, and, and maybe definitely not so much um, in the direct work that I do, but when somebody, um, you know, reads something that I wrote or, or something like that, they'll reach out and say, okay, now I know, then what? Um, and this was something that, that out of that article, um, that, that identified that's it's, it's mental health counseling. It's, you know, it's, it's not going on the couch, you know, and this is the stigma against what we do as our profession. Um, but, uh, in that article, you said that uh, counseling should focus on helping the combat veteran understand how experiences might influence their thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, and it can help combat veterans understand the paradoxes often experienced. And so, all of these things you talk about, how do I, you know, how do we do this? How do we tell our story safely? How do we develop the, 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 the story, the, um, the surface story and the deep story? How do we practice these intimacies in the mental health counseling session? It should be a, a very safe place for a veteran to, to maybe, um, manage these paradoxes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it could be through a counseling session. It could be talking to a trusted mentor, an advisor. It could even be talking to your spouse. You could say, hey, what is this? How would this sound? You know, and spouse will give you some candid, honest feedback. Right. And, you know, so there are lots of ways to to um, start the journey. The, the critical thing is you're not going to get there overnight. It's a process. It takes time. Sometimes it takes years, maybe more years than we'd like to admit. Um, and, you know, eventually you'll become comfortable with who you are and, and how you tell your story. And, you know, so a lot of it is just being patient. I always tell combat veterans the thing, that if you could do anything, is just take everything you do slowly. Everything you do, do slowly. Form relationships slowly. Drink slowly when you start drinking again. Do everything in very, very slowly in moderations. And don't try to make up for lost time. That's kind of one of the downfalls. Or like when you leave the military, oh, I'm out of the military now. Now I'm free. Don't still go slow. Take the process slowly. And 
And when you go slow, you're less likely to make mistakes. You're also less likely to make big mistakes, and you're less likely to scare people, you know, by telling your whole story all at once, right? Go slow, tell pieces at a time, tell stories shorter. You can make them longer as you go and, and add to it. But when I say go slow, don't expect to get there overnight. No, I really appreciate that. I, I say sort of the same thing to veterans that I work with in that, uh, okay, now that you're used to talking about it, be very careful about how you do it outside of this because I liken it to, you know, you can be like a St. Bernard, right, saying hello, and then it's, all, and it's just this overwhelming uh, to people because once, and, and this is the other thing when that, that paradox of the veteran story, once we do start to tell our story, and we have the the feeling of satisfaction. We want us we want to tell it over, and we want a lot of people to know. And so I, I really appreciate that. Uh, although um, you know, patience for men and women of action, uh, men and women who are you know used to getting the job done and, and going ninety miles an hour, even learning to go slow um, is can be difficult. Oh, yeah. You've got to unlearn a whole set of behaviors that are highly reinforced in the military, which is now, now, solve it now, get it done, get it now. Right. And, you know, but it, but, you know, even if you just back off of, you know, take an extra five or six seconds, you know, could be very, very, very helpful in not scaring people because of your your wanting to solve the problem today. Yes. Yeah. This is, uh, it, that's some great advice. And, and this has been some, some really great advice. Um, I say it almost every time, uh, that, that I have a guest on the show, but we could talk about this all afternoon. Um, because I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's something that obviously you're passionate about and, and you have a lot of experience and just the research that you've done, um, is, is pretty significant. So if, if veterans or, or, or listeners, other providers who are listening to the show, if they want to hear more about you or some of the research that you've done or your organization, how could they find that on the internet? Well, you know, we have a website. Um, it's if you just Google the Center for Innovation and Research, it'll come up. Or you can email me directly at carl.castro at USC. .edu, and I'll send you uh, material that you have in mind. Yeah, so I'll make sure that uh, both of those uh, links are in the show notes, uh, and uh, and those can be found uh, both on VeteranMentalHealth.com and ChangeYourPOV.com. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, uh, Carl. I, I think that uh, this probably will not be the last time that we talk. Well, it's a pleasure, and I'd love to come back and talk about a thousand other topics of interest to veterans and their families. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. This was some really good insight into the research and how it can help veterans and those who support them. There's a lot of really great research and the results from studies that can really help veterans get to a place of or sustain wellness after the military. That's one of the things I hope we can do here, which is bring the results of that research and get it into the hands of the ones who could really use it, veterans, their families, and their community. Carl talked about transition stress, the challenges that veterans face upon leaving the military. 
Everyone changes from the individual they were when they were 19 or 20 years old to the person they are now when they're 30 or 40. But the military accelerates those changes, multiple deployments in combat even more so. We also talked about the need for meaning and purpose. If there's anything that emerges from this show, beyond just the need to change the way we think and talk about veteran mental health, it's the fact that one of the most significant difficulties that veterans face after the military is finding meaning and purpose in their post-military life. If you have that, other stuff can seem manageable. If you don't have that, the other stuff can be overwhelming. I recommend that you take a look at all of the paradoxes Dr. Castro and his colleagues identified. We talked about four in the show, the safety paradox, the silence paradox, the courage paradox, and the intimacy paradox. There are 12 overall that they identified. Go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash paradox to check them out. They'll also be linked in the show notes, which can be found at veteranmentalhealth.com and changeyourpov.com. If you've been listening to the recent shows, you know I've been talking a lot about the release of my latest book, Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. I've heard a lot of great feedback on it. Whether you're a veteran, a family member of a veteran, or someone that works with veterans in any capacity, it's a great way to understand the military mindset and find strength and stability in post-military life. Finally, thanks to this week's sponsors, USA Military Medals. If you're proud of your service, like I am, it's a great place to go to get that stuff out of the back of your closet and displayed in a manner that your service deserves. You can find out more about them and all the things that help us do what we do at changeyourpov.com forward slash resources. Make sure you tune in next week when we talk about a great organization that's here in my backyard, Project Sanctuary. I have a talk with the founder and executive director, Heather Ely, about therapeutic retreats that are created and delivered with mental health and wellness in mind. Here's a quick preview. Our whole philosophy is that we believe everyone has the ability to heal and everyone has within themselves the knowledge, what they need to do to heal and move themselves forward. So it's just empowering the family, giving them that space and time to remember who they are and what they want and letting them know that they have a huge friend with Project Sanctuary, an advocate who will walk alongside them and help open a few doors. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Until then, stay focused and be well. I'd like to thank the Change Your POV Podcast Network for hosting this show and highlighting the critical importance of veteran mental health. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email at Dwayne at VeteranMentalHealth.com. You can find me at Twitter at The Counseling Vet or head on over to Facebook and look for the Change Your POV Squad. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com or ChangeYourPOV.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. The show about remembering our military history and reviving our warrior spirit, changing hearts and minds. The show about outdoor activities that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods. The show that helps us get going at the beginning of the week, Motivation Monday. And Attack Fridays, the show that brings you actionable tips, tricks, and coachable knowledge to help you make the best of your transition. While you're checking out the other shows, drop us a review in iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. The reviews really help spread the word about what we're doing. If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want after leaving the military, you found it. If you know of a buddy who's looking for the same info, share it with them so they can find it too. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is somebody who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to therealdoctod.com. Check it out. Because remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever.
The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P. I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.